Hello friends! This is People Are Interesting with Jan K. In each episode of this show, unique individuals share stories that take us on a ride across ideas and places. Featuring crocodile attacks in Indonesia, escaping war-torn Lebanon, and shark protection schemes in Mauritania. This podcast takes you where you've never been before. Enjoy and thank you for joining the club. Thank you so much for being here and for accepting my invitation. Uh, this is People Are Interesting, and today I'm hosting Ed, and we're going to be talking about your experiences, including your um, time in Vietnam during the war. Um, thank you so much for accepting the invitation. Yeah, happy to do it. So let's just dive right into it, if you don't mind. Sure. sure. By a bit of a background, would you mind telling me a little bit about um, where you grew up, where you're from, and a bit of your back back story, so to say? Sure. Uh, I was born uh, two years after the Second World War in '47 uh, in uh, Laguna Beach, California. Nice little beach town, little art colony, especially back in those days. Still is now, but it's a, a lot bigger. And uh, my dad was uh, had a Pontiac dealership there. Um, so moved after that dealership didn't really pan out. We moved up into a Whittier area, which is in Southern California, south of L.A., for a couple of years. And then we bought a home up in a place called La Habra Heights, which is kind of a rural area um, in uh in Southern California, kind of on the border between Orange and LA counties. And that's, uh, we moved up there in 1955. I had a great childhood up there because uh, we had, behind my house, there was acres and acres and acres of just rolling hills and scrub and uh, quail and coyote and rabbits and stuff and places to explore. So my dog and I, and sometimes my friends and I, we would go back there and just hike around and do all kinds of crazy stuff back there. But that my childhood was more in more of kind of a, a rural uh, setting, not necessarily in the city. And so I uh, I, I stayed there, <clears throat> started working, probably around 15, 16 years old, just a couple odd jobs here and there. Went to school, graduated in 1965 from high school, and went to a year of college. Uh, and then in my second year of college, I uh, pretty much determined that it wasn't for me. I wasn't really mature enough. I didn't have a, a career path. I didn't have uh, any particular goals. Uh, just kind of have fun and figuring out who I am. And I was a little too young. If I If I... If I were to do it again, and, and I would always even tell people, you know, no reason to go to college if you don't have a goal. Uh, it's very expensive. No reason to go in debt for something that you're not going to do. Uh, so find your career path. And if it, if, it, if it needs college, then by all means, go to college. Um, colleges today are not what they were in, in the back in the day there they have they there's too much politics and so forth in colleges and kids come out of there a little bit confused more than when they went in 
my opinion. You're going to hear a lot of my opinions. <laughs> Go but, for it. Yeah, but I, uh, so I went to my, into my third semester and uh, I didn't uh, sign up for my second half of my sophomore year in college. And it wasn't long before uh, I got a letter from Uncle Sam saying, you know, join our party. We uh, we've, <laughs> we need some we need bodies. Um, so they were they drafted me at that time. The draft uh, was taking a lot of guys my age, lots, thousands and thousands of them. And a good majority of them were going into over to Vietnam. I had. I, there are options um, when you're drafted. I know people have probably heard about how kids go to Canada or they leave the country or they fake that they're sick or, or uh, shoot off a toe or whatever to, to avoid going to the war. But uh, I, didn't, I didn't have that mentality. I, I, I didn't want to go to the war. Of course, you know, like any other kid, I didn't want to get shot at. I didn't want to shoot anybody. Um, but I just figured, you know, I, I'll take my chances. And so uh, I got drafted. Went down to the induction center and on Broadway in Los Angeles, where you, they do a quick physical and and then you take a number of tests and so forth. And then they, uh, they bought, well, I went there earlier when I turned 18. I had to do that to get on the draft to get in their books. But then when they drafted me, they just called me in and, of course, went through another physical and so forth. And then off I went, got on the bus and drove up north to uh, Salinas, uh, Fort Ord where I, I went through my uh, basic training. Basic training is eight weeks of your, your general military training. You, you learn you know, skills, you learn how to shoot, you know if you're good. And they're watching you all the time to see if you, <clears throat> where you fit. And also to see if you have leadership qualities, um, problem with people, anything, you know, things like that. They, they, that's their job is to not only train you, but to also assess you. So we took, we take a number of, uh, just before we go into um, basic, we take a number of tests and the tests are general tests to tell you what your aptitudes are, where your talents lie. I took, uh, I took my tests and apparently, and I didn't know until the end of basic, I didn't even know where I was going to go after that. I did pretty well mechanically. So I found out for my AIT or my advanced individual training, uh, it's another eight weeks. Mm -hmm. I was going to go to Alabama. I went to Alabama to learn how to work on airplanes. Now, the airplanes that I worked on were were interesting little planes too bad we don't have visuals i can show you pictures and stuff i should have sent you a whole bunch of pictures so you could see what i'm talking about and you, you could do some kind of an in screen on screen but uh <clears throat> the plane i worked on was called a 01 bird dog and the bird dogs was just a little cessna 
little two seat, uh, just the, and with a stick controls, a little six cylinder engine, like a little private plane, high wing, the guy in the, the pilot, and then behind him was a uh, observer. Mm-hmm. Who was, <clears throat> and the company I went with, they were all Marines. We worked with the Marines. So um, I went to uh, I went to Alabama. I learned how to work on these little planes. Um, then I got my orders to go to Vietnam. And let me ask you a question at this point before we move sure. to this part of the story. Absolutely. What kind of mindset were you in when you were about to enlist and join the army? And generally speaking, what was the society like, the way you perceived it when you were growing up? What were some of the, let's say, defining characteristics of of it for you? Well, that's that's a pretty broad question. Uh, As far as society was uh, society was just getting over the uh, getting through the 50s and and was in a rather healthy place all the way around the economy was relatively good um, the, the biggest drag on the society at the time was the was the war and why we got into the war and who was running the war and constant getting barraged every day on TV, on the news with how many bodies, you know, body counts and all that. So it was turning sour. The, the country was turning sour. Um, and there became this kind of a anti-government start, mentality started coming along. <clears throat> and then there was a lot there was there was uh there was say agitators but uh there were those particularly in the universities that were causing a lot of dissent uh causing dissent you know there there was reason to dissent to 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 have dissent against the war uh understandable but there are two sides to that too. There was reasons for the war, but there was way to conduct the war. Uh, there was there was a way that it could have been easier and done sooner without the loss of million lives of uh, of uh, uh, civilians and and uh, military and North Vietnamese and South Vietnamese and we lost uh, 58,000 guys. And <clears throat> so there was grow, growing dissent and unrest and unease. And it's, 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 it's coming from kind of a place where we were happily, um, happily naive. You know, the 50s was a leave it to beaver generation uh, on TV. That was, you know, a TV show that's, Mom and Pop, the single family, you know, with Mom in the kitchen, Dad, hi, dear, coming home with a martini in hand, and uh, the kids are all, you know, kind of rambunctious, yet they all love their family, and they they have a good family relationship in that dynamic. 
and that was kind of the American dream or the American ethos. And um, then the war came in, and the, there was a, a shift in, uh, it was just a shift. You could just feel it in the air of change, uh, dissatisfaction. I personally feel a lot of it was manufactured. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, there's, you know, I, I hate to go down this this road, but I, I do believe that there's uh, 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 there's a, a, a philosophy of Marxism that that can get in get involved in society and in the education and just and division. Uh, and the country divided can't stand. And this division in the country was uh, a good thing for some. But that's that's a whole history lesson for somebody else. But for, as far as I, my individual uh, frame of mind at the time was, I was, I was rather naive, mm-hmm. a rather naive kid. I wasn't a college into college and I wasn't listening to a lot of, uh, other voices, so to speak. I didn't, uh, I just followed the news, but you know, at 18, 19 years old, I, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't that all that involved, but, and so I was a naive and I'm an easy picking for the, for the draft at the time. Yeah. Let me ask you a couple of practical questions so I can. Sure understand what it was like to be in that time so for example let's say someone was doing a a normal job nothing nothing like a, let's say a lawyer or a doctor which yeah. i presume was very well paid back then as it is now but let's yeah. say someone worked as a waiter or you know um an ordinary job like what was like life like for them in terms of for example wages and I don't know, affording a, a house, decent housing, being able to, you know, live well. What, what was the standard of life like for just normal folks back then, in your in your opinion? Because it seems like you you might understand um, the, yeah. the, the 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 normal experience, as as you've said, you started attending college, but you haven't finished it because you didn't know exactly what you would want to do with it. So you, right. So yeah, um, in America, uh, wages were were livable. You know, they were low, but you could buy a house for like twenty thousand dollars or less. Uh, food was really cheap and abundant. Uh, Post war, the um, economy was really booming and so people were able to buy homes and all around the country there the homes were were, were uh, just popping up everywhere because everybody had jobs uh, pretty much um, so people were were feeling good about their country feeling good about having kids feeling good about raising families college education wasn't all that expensive it's all tied to what the value of, of the dollar, and uh, and the dollar was was very val- valuable, and our GDP was greater than any other country in the world. Yeah. So uh, people are happy. No. Generally, people were pretty happy. 
And from your point of view, how how does it compare to what it is now? Would you say that there has been a decline and improvement? Just to kind of like figure out if you know how yeah. how the society might have changed in that sense. Wow, it's a big question. Um, fortunately, I have the advantage of the hindsight that I can see where we were and where we are. <clears throat> and I personally see uh, it's not even close to the same world, not even close to it. Um, obviously, we're struggling financially, struggling financially, I think, because of a number of bad decisions politically. Um, the, the politics have become very divisive and, uh, and, and, and hurtful. Uh, and that never really was. All the, the left, right, the Democrats, Republicans, you know, they had their basic tenets and what they believed in. And they would work together amicably. So that is not the case anymore. And I think it's caused, it, it's caused a malaise uh, across the country, the people are just, they're just confused. They're, they're sad, they're depressed, they don't know why. Um, and so much of it is tied to, uh, I think a lot of it is tied to the information that we have available to us at the tip of our, you know, of our fingers. 14-year-old or 10 or 8, 9-year-old kids don't have, didn't have access to this tremendous scourge of, of pornography uh, and, and videos and so forth, that it's been proven that the mind gets imprinted with those things at a young age and their lives are dysfunctional. They don't know, they don't know how to treat the opposite sex. They don't know. Uh, they're confused about that. They don't. They, they they don't know how to how to conduct themselves. But I mean, but that point, arguably, you had a lot of pathological behaviors across the time back in the day as well. Um, surely you could say that you know the problems are different than they were back in the day. Mm -hmm. But what I'm just trying to figure out is whether, in your opinion, the kind of like the building blocks of the society, like having a decent job without having to, you know, be in the top 1% of the society, let's say, um, just being being able to live okay, um, where are those things kind of like still, still here uh, in comparison to how you remember it when you were younger? Um, or if you feel like it's not really there anymore. And the reason why I'm trying to figure it out is because I would imagine that deciding to go to war in a different country, that's like a pretty significant decision. So just trying to understand the context for that, that's, that's yeah. quite interesting for me. Well, I think the context of it is, is love of country. Uh, and that's why we would always go to the war. First, we didn't want to get into these wars, but then when we get attacked personally, we'd get into them. Um, 
so there's a, there was a sense of patriotism in the country uh, that was really prevalent. Uh, and it does seem like that's kind of cut the ha- country in half. It seems like there's half of the country now that are, have that same kind of zeal, patriotic zeal. I, I didn't have a, I had a patriotic zeal in the sense that I would be willing to die for my country. Um, mm-hmm. Even though I was in a foreign land, the the belief was that this scourge of communism was moving across the world. And at some point, somebody had to call put a stop to it. And that was that was what we believed. And if you believe it enough, you go and die for it. Um, yeah. I, and so I, I don't think that there's that sense. And I think this today people are not feeling as uh, proud of their country as they used to. Um, mm-hmm. There's a number of reasons for that, but I, we wouldn't we we wouldn't do that again. And they, you know, we suppose we when we got into the first Iraq War, it was like, well, this is a you know we're the idea is to go in and win the war and get out, not some protracted thing. But then we got mm. into Afghanistan and it went on 25 years or whatever it was. Yeah. And so the same idea being is that, well, we want to protect the world from, from communism or yeah. from now a new radical Islam or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. And so, you go through your training and what happens after that well after the training uh, then you just get shipped over you know okay. came, came home for a week uh robert kennedy got assassinated <laughs> while i was home and then off we went the next day and um yeah and then so if you're a grunt they stick you right in the jungle and you get assigned to a a combat uh, platoon or, or company, and off you go. With me, I they took me over, dropped me off in Cameron Bay. Beautiful place, but it was probably 104 degrees with 100% humidity, and it was like a shock for, for this, this guy. I'd never been in that much heat and that much humidity. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so here I am, and... And I'm looking around, trying to figure out where I go from here. And then they, somebody says, you got, you're got joining this company. And then then we went and went into the to whatever company we went to and uh, flew us up there. And then I just started working uh, using some of the tools that I had learned, but not so much, but kind of getting a feel for military life, following orders, um, Rebelling against orders, you know, being trying to find out who I am mm-hmm. in in the midst of uh, this circumstances, because you know, I, like I say, I came from this rural situation, idyllic in a way, and now I'm in the middle of a war, and you know, I get off the plane and I'm hearing all these booms around, and I see this hillside, mountainside, and all these sounds are coming out of the hillsides, you know, and a lot of it was outgoing artillery. <clears throat> What's the... So, sorry, didn't mean to cut, uh, cut no, you off. 
What was it? No, no, that was it. So what's the kind of change in your perception once you found yourself in the midst of of that situation? What was like your body reaction? What did you think? What was like your first couple of days? Even what kind of equipment did you have with you? Did 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 you bring anything with you from the states, or did you did you get everything from the army? And that's what you oh yeah what you've used? no no you 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 get a number. Mine was US five six seven one six one one nine. You get a number, and you're basically a num your your army property. You're a GI or government issue. You become a property uh, of the government <clears throat> and a, a weapon or a useful tool for them to uh, accomplish their military goals. So for me, I was uh, a mechanic, so I would fix the planes, and these planes would go around. They'd fly around low, and, and they'd spot the enemy movement, and uh, they'd call artillery on uh, the, the, the enemy uh, they'd call in airstrikes. They'd call in. They'd tell the Marines on the ground where they are and what, what's happening around them, and then they'd they'd fly back home again. So, I was, uh, you know, I just get into it like it's a, a job, and my mind becomes was starting to kind of expand uh, beyond myself. Okay, I'm I'm with other people that are not like me. And they're not that bad. They're pretty cool, you know. Met some great black guys and and southern boys, and uh, <clears throat> hear their stories and and realizing, wow, there's a big world out there. And you know, these people are great. They're some jerks, and you deal with them, and and you you learn how to handle yourself. You learn how to adapt and move on, not take things too personally. Um, and uh, make the be basically make the best of a of a bad situation, and when you can do that, and you don't get your feelings hurt, and you're not trying to change any any other people or make them do something that you wouldn't want them to do, or you just want to be a good friend with people and kind of hang together. That was that was very very uh, valuable. Friendships that you make in uh, hard situations like that are, are, are precious. And your life in, in war situations, especially in combat situations, your life depends on it. It's all about the buddy, your buddy, having your back, uh, keeping, mm. you, keeping you safe. <clears throat> well, not such an intense situation, but... Uh, that's the way it is. You just you you link up with somebody and you bare your soul because you don't have you don't have your car to impress them with, you don't have your money to show off with, you don't have uh, uh, you know a job that you can impress them with or cars and all that. So they mm -hmm. uh, you just it, everything is reduced to its least common denominator, and that's who you are as a person. And are you a friend? Are you a jerk? Are you a liar? Uh, those things show up. It's this kind of a microcosm of, the, of, a, of a whole other world. So what did you learn about the human character and human nature through that experience? Um, I don't know how 
deep I could go with that. I mean, because it was, we were, <clears throat> we were kind of formed by, um, in a similar situation. So we all, we all dealt with it in, in, uh, in the ways that you do in the military. <clears throat> um, how, let's see, it's the best way. Human, human nature, I guess, I think that if it was in a more intense, I think the more intense the situation is, the more human nature becomes more raw and on your sleeve and readable. You know, these, these guys that are out there fighting for their lives and the guy that will run out uh, on a rice paddy and grab his buddy who just had his leg shut off shot off and pull him back in and the guys that will lay down their lives for their friends that's where you see real character or you see the guy that cries and he runs behind the tree and he risks everybody's life and you see that character too or lack of so i think the more the in intense the personal uh scenario that you find yourself in is is the most revealing to what your character is but in general i found that overall there was a it was just a wonderful group of guys you know they're all guys trying to get through it like like me um you know some were heroes most were just guys like you know us that were just trying to get it done put their 12 months in and go home to, you know, their family. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know if okay. that's question or not, but. No, I think, I think, and, you know, that might seem like, you know, it's obvious to you, but it's not obvious to me. Um, Cause I've never been in a situation like that. Um, so thank you for explaining. Uh, and well, something that I find quite interesting and I would like to, learn about that from you um your mm -hmm. thoughts on that would be what were some of the more important lessons you've learned through this experience and generally speaking during your youth and how did you apply them or keep applying them in your daily life i learned that uh i'm strong enough and able enough to figure life out figure figure stuff out and solve it along the way and I didn't don't always need to call on somebody else to do it that was uh that was good for me at the time it, it made, me, made me realize that yeah I've I've got a brain I've got uh I've got abilities that uh that, that are helped me to survive in the world um you know not not and not necessarily the mechanical stuff you know not that stuff it's the stuff inside the heart you know what you're made of and um so it was it was good in the sense that uh i could i could rely on kind of the gifts that god has given me that um in the natural in the natural sense now when I got out, that my whole paradigm changed. And so I took, I had grown up physically, 
literally physically uh, put on weight, you know, kind of became a, more of a, a man. But emotionally, I, I grew up because I was in hard situations and I survived them. And, but I didn't, I didn't have a, 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 like a spiritual foundation that came about a month after I got home. And that was a pillar in my life that com kind of completed my, uh, my journey. And mm -hmm. it, it, it kind of, it, it kind of launched me into a whole new journey, which has been for the last 60 years, which has been the best, best part of the whole journey. Now I, I can go into that if you want, and I'd be happy to, um, if you want to, if you want me to tell you that, that part of the story, it isn't necessarily army related, but life, life we're in an arm, we're in a battle any way you look at it. Life is, is, uh, is a whole series of battles that you either overcome or you get overcome by. You either win mm -hmm. or you lose, and, and it depends on how you lose, whether or not it was an actual loss. Sometimes we think that we have a loss, but life is built out of a series of loss, loss, losses and struggles. And these struggles are, are positive things in our life, even though at the time they don't seem like it. But how did you handle that struggle? How did you uh, deal with it? How, how, what, what character was revealed in you through the process of going through that struggle? Did you give up? Did you press on? Did you try to find a solution for it? During the process of it, were you kind to others? Were you were you a benefit to somebody else, or were you a detriment to somebody else? Uh, that's when character starts to become formed in us. When we we uh, we take on we take on challenges or battles that uh, were either of our own choice, or usually they're thrust upon us, and we we, we don't always choose to battle. Battles always just find us. Could you and give me so, an example? What you mean? Well, um, I would say, okay, let's say it's something like a, a sickness comes along, uh, or uh, or the loss of a loved one, or well, let's make it not quite so intense. Um, a situation that comes up at work. Or in my case, it would be with a customer because I, I've never, I've rarely gotten a paycheck. I've worked for myself my entire life. Um, I have a customer, and they, they would pick on something that I've done. Say I, I, I work really hard because I'm a wood finisher. That's my trade. As I refinish ex exterior doors, front doors, I make them beautiful again. So, the customer looks at something I did and they might say, gee, I wish it was like this. And I just put so much into it and it's, and they're like, I'm not going to pay you. Right. Mm -hmm. So, and I've had customers, not that didn't pay me, but I've had customers. I worked in Beverly Hills quite a while in the nineties. And I had a customer there that gave me a lot of grief and I was the best in town with what I was doing. And but she just used it as an excuse not to pay me or to put off paying me. So I could either 
burn her house down, <laughs> or, or I could get really vindictive, or I could look at it like, you know what? I probably could have done a little bit better job and put a little bit more time into it. So that was a that in a sense was uh, a battle that I had with another person that could have gone one way or the other. I could have turned that person into an enemy or mm -hmm. I could have turned that person into somebody that loves me and recognizes my talent and will recommend me for the rest of their lives. Those kinds of things. Or, or if you have a death in the family, are you, or, or are, are you, not ah, death, accidents, hard, hard things that happen in the family. How do you process these things? Are you are, are you the kind that's going to uh, help other people? Are you going to try to be, you know, are you going to be compassionate to the person and their family? Are you going to sh share food with them? Are you going to go beyond your comfort zone and, and care for them? Um, you know, there's there, you, you can probably look at situations that have arisen in your life where you could say, well, did I handle that right? Did I handle it properly? Would my, you know, would my parents be proud of me for doing that, this, that, and the other thing? And financial hard times are really difficult. Going long periods of time without work. Are you, you get bitter or do you press on? Or you, do, you, do you keep trying to make a way and find another way? Do you get, use your resources? You know, it's all kinds of life experiences that you have choices. Choices are, are, life is a series of small incremental choices. And I, I look at it like, and I don't know if you've ever heard this uh, analogy, but if you, if you look at a, a freighter that goes across the country, right? I mean, across the ocean, <clears throat> they're going along and they've got a compass heading. And, it's, and if you vary from that, if you vary from it one degree, you make a decision, you get distracted, and you turn the compass just maybe a half a degree. You could wind up at, in Alaska instead of Hawaii mm -hmm. because it's the long journey. Yep. So the choices that you made today are the ones that are going to affect you down the road. So it's so important that we make the decisions and choices today that are going to be beneficial and, and good for you and good for people around you. Yeah, I, 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 I love that. And actually, that leads me on to my other question, which I, which I would like to ask. In hindsight, what do you wish you knew at the age of 25? Based on all your professional and personal experiences, what do you think was, was the, did you ever have a moment that, and it's not necessarily like a regret or a yeah. feeling of regret or anything like that, but like something that clicked and you were like, oh, wow, this is like something. Yeah, right. I am, I'm richer as a, as a person, as an individual, because I have this experience and this understanding now. Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I, I think if I were, there's a lot of things that if I knew then that I know now, if I knew then I would have been, I would have been different, but that has to do with like, 
opportunities to make money. You know, I'd buy an Apple stock, you know, or something like that. But I, what you're saying is that uh, is how how would I be? Uh, what what would I do different um, if I knew one thing about the future? And and I think I would be less if I knew. If the biggest thing is. In, in if I knew that God was able to take care of all of my needs if I completely trust my life to him in earlier years I wouldn't have sweat out as much as I did and I probably wouldn't have gotten into the stuff that I got into um, but I think to a certain degree you have to go through some of that stuff um, but the, the, the God factor, uh, in my life, knowing now what I didn't know then is, is tremendous. Um, it's, it's huge. So if I'd known that, if I'd known him earlier, that would have made a big difference in my life. But on the more of the natural plane, I think I, if I knew that Things generally have a way of working out uh, by making small incremental good decisions. I wouldn't be stressed as much. I would just enjoy my life. Uh, I would do all the things that I should be doing, the right stuff, the good stuff, and and let time uh, build my character and the, the person that I can be that'll be able to handle the situations as I get older. So not to really panic about your younger years because you've got, you do have time. You ha I mean, it seems, it seems crazy because I, I say you have time and it seems like I'm 75 and it seems like, you know, it was just yesterday that, you know, I had my first daughter and she's 47 now, you know, so you don't really have time, but you do have you do have the the benefit of of uh, the opportunity to make good good choices. And now I know that those things do send, tend to work themselves out mm -hmm. if you make good choices all along the way. And I think that that's probably the biggest thing to not fear about today, but do what's right today. And then tomorrow is another day to do the same thing. And then there's another day and then another. And eventually it's a year. And that year was a, a year of good choices. And then, you know, and then when you're in your 40s, 50s, 60s or something, you're grateful that you made the decisions that you did. But that's the hindsight, the benefit, you know, that that it's beneficial to have when you get old. Mm -hmm. And there's probably other things, too. Um no, this was rather rather amazing, actually. What, what a what a great piece of, not even advice, but just uh, you know, it's great to hear from someone who's, let's say, older than me. You're almost three times older than myself, right? And when you're saying, essentially, what I understood you to be saying is, um, don't sweat it too much, don't worry too much, just be a good person day after day, and you know, try to make sensible decisions, and things will work out. You know. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I like do that. Things for, do things for others. You know, um, the problem with this, particularly with what's going on today, is everybody is so self-centered. Mm-hmm. So, and that's, I think that's why everybody's so friggin' bummed out. Because mm-hmm. when you look at you look at yourself, we we, we are not gods. Um, we are not we are not all powerful, but we are able to make, like I say, good choices and good decisions. But if if we concentrate on ourselves, and like that's what the influences of today are, is so uh, narcissistic. Mm-hmm. That leads to uh, such depression uh, because that you you had you don't have the answer at your fingertips. You know you don't know. Time will teach you in hindsight. God will teach you today if you're willing to listen to him and sit down and spend time with him and read the Bible, actually. There's some amazing wisdom in the Bible. Um, and those things will form your life. And, and what they'll tell you to do is they'll tell you to be good to other people. Jesus said that, you know, the law and the commandments are all fulfilled in this is to love your brother as you as yourself. You fulfilled the whole commandments is love. And if we can learn to love it, like Jesus said the ultimate love is to love your enemies. Now that that's a challenging thing to love your enemies. And what does that even mean? You can't do it on your own. God is love, and Him through you can love your enemies. Let me ask you, let me ask you this. So you are a religious man. You grew up religious or you found religion later on in in your life. Um, What does it mean to you to be religious? And Mm. Hmm. well, it's the number one pillar of my life. And uh, let me make something very clear. There's a difference between religion and relationship. Religion is what everybody, the whole world is full of religion. I I even think some philosophy is religion. I I think that that religion comes in all forms from east to west, from Buddha to da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and they're all, they all tend to try to find God. They all have a picture of who God is and, and and think they have to do these different things to please him. But when you flip that scenario on its head, Christianity or a relationship with Jesus is not a, re- a religion, it's a relationship. So I don't, I don't feel that I'm religious. In other words, I don't, you know, I don't do a lot of religious stuff. You know, I don't mm-hmm. have religious things in my house. I don't do religious things, but I do want to love my neighbor. I do want to share truth with my neighbor. I want to help my neighbor. And those things I can do in the power that God has given me um, in my heart by the, you know, you hear the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, I always hear the Holy Spirit. I don't get, want to get too far into the weeds about uh, how it works. But when you have a relationship with God, he actually changes your heart and he gives you the ability to love your enemy. He gives you the ability where 
sense. In the natural sense, that's not the first thing that comes to your mind. We want to get revenge. We want to get even. We want to have our way. We want to get ahead. In, in Christianity with Christ, it's all it's all the opposite. It says you've got to die to live. It's the, it's the uh, it's a concept, and Jesus said, unless a seed fall into the ground and die, it bears no fruit. It falls on the ground and sits there and bears no fruit. But if it dies and then it it gets buried, it'll bear much fruit. It has to put itself aside for other other people. Mm-hmm. And that's what he did on the cross. And so that's when I so that when you ask how that's religion has formed my life, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's foundational. I mean I don't it's I have a a, a totally different worldview that doesn't center around me, but it centers around God and him using and working through me. Now, of course, there's always the stuff, you know, I'd like to have, I'd like to have this, or I'd like to have that, but those things, I don't want to have any of that stuff, to be honest with you. And I, that might come with age younger. Maybe I did, but I never strove, strive for any of it. You know, I just, I just want to love my wife. I want, I love my kids. I want them to love me. I want them to just enjoy their time with me and not regret that grandpa's coming over <laughs> and goofing around with them and stuff. Um, and there's nothing greater than that, you know, to, to have. A, and I've got good friends that I love that love me and they like spending time with me. Um, so, yeah, it's not like I just. Like some religions, are, their family and everything is so based on it, they have to go. They go to church every day and they wear different clothes and they have to say this and that and the other thing. No, my religion is based on my loving God, him loving me, and him loving the world through me and giving me wisdom. And that's what I want more than anything else is wisdom. Hmm. I mean, Speaking I think of, this is a, Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. No, no, I, I didn't. I thought there was a full stop there. I met, mm-hmm. I misread, misread it because of that, you know, because it's online essentially. Oh yeah, sorry. I know it's crazy. Yeah, so that's uh, that's why it's foundational in my life is, and and that was why it was a such an eye opener at twenty one years old, twenty two years old. I, my eyes were literally opened. To say, oh, it's not all about me. It's not all about these things. It's about an eternal uh, perspective and an eternal reality that I didn't even know until I, I mean, I, I grew up in a, my mom was Christian science. And so I had a, a thought, a knowledge of what I thought of God was, but that religion is, is very, very, very flawed. And I can't even go off into that. And I threw it away at 18 years old, threw all religion away. And of course I did my own things, you know, started smoking pot and all this and that, doing all the stuff that all the kids, you know, in the sixties did and smoked a lot of it in Vietnam even. That must've been fun. (laughs) 
Yeah, that was wild. I had some wild times. The music in the 60s was awesome, no doubt. Whoa. What 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 was your favorite you know band or artist? Oh, what, what did you like to listen or still like to listen? Yeah, I still like. Uh, I loved uh, I loved a lot of the the British bands, the Yardbirds, the Animals, the mm. Rolling Stones. Mm. Uh, you know, Creedence Clearwater over here. Yeah, there's just such Pink Floyd, uh, the Moody Blues. Huge fan of the Moody Blues. Always have been. Um, not that name so, doesn't ring a bell. Huh? You that don't know the movie That one doesn't ring a bell, no. The oh, other okay. ones definitely do. They're worth um, looking into. <laughs> I, I probably will. Actually, I have seen Rolling Stones live in Hyde Park this summer. Oh, um, nice. Which might have been, yeah, might have been one of the last, you know, chances to do it, really. Cause... No, it seems like they never quit. I saw them in 1966 wow <laughs> that's so wild what was that like what was it like what was going on at the concert well it was so funny at the concert it was a long beach arena in down in long beach little port city down here in southern california and the the uh, the birds you know the band the birds like uh hey mr tambourine man and all that yeah anyway okay. the birds the Birds, they were a brand new folk rock group that was up and coming, too. They were part of the whole 60s uh, music revolution. They opened for them, and the Stones had just had their first album out. Mm -hmm. and they did uh, Little Red Rooster and uh, McKingbee and all these different ones, you know. Yep. And here's the skinny little Mick Jagger, and I, I see him like way down there. I actually even took a an eight millimeter movie camera and I taped, I recorded them, but then I lost the film. Wow. But it was so funny. I mean, the place wasn't even completely full. Wow. And the girl came around the back. It was a, a, a in the round and they cut off half of the stage, you know? And so half of the theater was just empty seats mm -hmm. but behind the stage. They had a curtain. Uh, hanging down and uh, uh, some little gal, little groupie, you know, ran around mm. the track, got up be behind the stage up, up on the second level and lowered herself down the curtain <laughs> and, dropped, and dropped to the floor and then ran over and she grabbed onto Mick Jagger, you know, and, her and the security had to come and pull her off. And I talked to her after the concert. She had a little cut on her and stuff. She's like, oh, no yeah and what i had the it, crowd like i had what it all on film oh god um <laughs> the crowd was very enthusiastic well-mannered you know i mean they, mm -hmm. they were good no crazy stuff mm -hmm. but yeah that was uh i think that was my first major concert that i've seen i've seen uh them van morrison when he was brand new and he just came out with uh uh gloria and Mystic Eyes, and Here Comes the Night, and On the Zombies was another group I really loved, and Quicksilver uh, Messenger Service, uh, Mothers, I didn't wasn't too much into the Mothers of Invention, um, Jefferson Airplane. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. <laughs> have yeah. you seen? Have, have you been to their gig? I I got a picture of a of a love in at Griffith Park, and a love in was where the kids go and they all get 
kind of stoned and so forth and 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 just hang out and listen to music and uh, Sir, uh jefferson airplane was playing uh, i have a picture of it. they were playing outside for free wow yeah, oh they were my just, god that's incredible. yeah they're up by the by the restrooms and there was and david crosby from uh, the birds and crosby seals and nash was there too but the whole band and they were just right there playing free at a love in at a concert wow what do you what do you think about 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 what happened with Janis Joplin cuz she died quite young right do i do i do i write, remember it right or am i mixing it up yeah she died very young uh, i think she was 27 i think that i think Jimi hendrix was 27 yeah. Joplin was 27 something like that died yeah. at hotel marmont in uh, Hollywood, you know, that's the problem that you get young kids and it's the same thing with athletes and so forth. They give them too much too early. Mm -hmm. They get too much fame and too much money, uh, too much, you know, adoration and it all goes to their head and they think that they're invincible. But you know, these young people, they can only take so much drugs and she was drinking her Southern comfort and dropping acid and, and just thinking that life would go on forever, and fortunately for her, it didn't. Yeah. Yeah. She yeah. was. She was something. I, I really love her music. She has yeah, such an incredible voice. There's just some, I don't know, yeah. like almost like a kind of urgency in the way she sings. You know, like yeah, she exactly. almost knew like she doesn't have that much yeah. time. Yeah. So. that piece piece of my heart? Oh my God! Yeah, no, all yeah. It's what what an incredible music! Like wow, it's inc I'm so I'm I'm so fortunate that I can talk to you and you've seen all those guys when they were just you know, yeah, up and well, up and coming basically. And to me, they're oh, yeah. you know, she was with Big Brother and the Holding Company. Wow, and wow. yeah, they uh, all the up and coming bands back then, it was so fun to watch. And then to watch then the British invasion came and uh, then it was like, yeah, incredible. So fun. Yeah. So wow. I learned, I learned how to play the bass. We had a little band. Since then I've learned to play a harmonica. I play the blues. I like the blues. So I play it. Okay. I play the blues. Yeah. That's a lot of fun. Huh. <laughs> that's amazing. Well, I mean, that was an incredible conversation. I'm so happy this has been recorded. Um, oh, great! Yeah, I've I've enjoyed it too. Yeah, no, it was it was a uh, and 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 I don't know. I feel like I've learned a lot from this conversation, both factually and just more like I would say, just kind of like figuring life out. You know, it's yeah. it's interesting. I think. What do you actually? Definitely a last question because we were almost at one hour mark. Um, yeah. What What do you think? Because I feel like there is this disconnection between the older generation and the younger generation. What? How do you think you bridge that gap? Because like I I think that was pretty cool how we you know how we like started talking about the music and like there we like we like a lot of the same music and you know. Uh, what kind of, for example, questions do young people can ask older older folks and just, you know, try well, that's, to... That's easy. People, people generally like 
talking about themselves. Mm. Um, and they, they're always amazed at somebody like, I'm amazed at you, uh, that you would be even interested in talking to somebody like me, because it's rare. Most people are, 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 are too self-absorbed to do that, and they're not really searching um, because there's so many pseudo uh, answers out there that people will gravitate to first rather than seeking old wisdom. Mm. But there's a value. I mean, the, the Asian culture and all of, you know, the, more the European culture and the Jewish culture and so forth, they, they revere in the Indian culture, they revere their old people. Oh yeah, because because they they hold inside them their history, um, and uh, we need to learn history, uh, or else who said unless we're you know we're doomed to repeat it you know uh, if we don't learn from it. <clears throat> so getting people finding somebody that has wisdom and a lot and people do people people are very happy to talk to young people if they're asked. I think they're normally intimidated by them. They're intimidated by their strength. They're intimidated by their speech, their, 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 their quickness of speech. They're intimidated by their language uh, because we don't speak that language. I've, mm -hmm. I've learned it. I mean, I've not learned it because not like Japanese or something, but I try to stay as current as I can even as an old guy, because uh, yeah. that's always been my nature. But <laughs> I think I don't think you would ever have problems talking to somebody and asking them their story. I mean, you can go to an old folks' home, you know, a rest home, and sit down and talk with people. And, you know, nobody, not everybody has the patience to do that. But if you do, you can learn a lot of stuff, a lot of good stuff. It's yeah. like what what you're doing is so good, and there's so many other people to talk to. I mean, I I, I would like to see that gap bridged all the more because there are millions of us that still have something to say. I know, I agree with you 100%, and I am gonna be you know doing my little bit to capture those stories before they go. You know, yeah. in some cases, un untold, because, you know, there is a lot out there. I agree with you 100%. And I will take this opportunity to thank you again for, you know, sparing some time to oh, chat uh, to me. That was wonderful. Thank you very I've, much. I've, I've enjoyed it, Jan, and I, I, I appreciate that you would even honor me with, with doing this. Uh, it's, it's an honor for me to speak to you. And I'd yeah. be happy to do it any time. And so would Ansel, my cat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe you should explain the story of the name of your cat because we, we've talked before <laughs> when it was unrecorded. Ansel. Named after Ansel Adams, the photographer who take, took these fabulous black and white photos of the, uh, the Pacific Northwest and, uh, and the Eastern Sierras. Uh, in California and a lot of different places. Beautiful, beautiful black and white pictures, particularly of Half Dome 
and El Capitan in the Yosemite Valley. Just incredible. So he his his photographs are known for being black and white. So I, I named Ansel after him, Ansel Adams, the photographer. Yeah, and to the folks who will just listen to it, you've guessed it, the cat is black and white. <laughs> he's, he's black and white, and I love him. <laughs> yeah, good stuff, good stuff. Uh, Thank yeah. you very much. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. All right, you too, my friend. Uh, keep well, in touch anytime. We will, yeah, we will be in touch, exactly. Okay, right, until buddy. then, bye. Bye now.